Matthew 6. Hey, we just finished up a series on fasting and uh, what it means and what it's about. Uh, we're going through uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, the basics that Jesus taught, his very first teaching. Can you, think, can you imagine that? His very first public teaching to people. We're studying that. We get, we get the privilege of studying that. I picked that up to take a drink. I didn't drink it before I drank before I set it down. You didn't need to know that, but that's all right anyway. <clears throat> and we're going to continue on that because we're talking about getting back to the basics, getting back to our roots as Christians. I've got to be honest, no more, there's no greater time in history, uh, in the history especially of the church, where I think we need to get back to what it is that we believe. I think we've, we've gotten so far a field of what it is that we stand for, what we believe, <clears throat> what truly matters in life, that it's almost, we almost need a complete reset. So that's what we've been doing this past year, the 2022, and now in 2023, we're talking about our roots, what, it, what our roots are as Christians. Stand with me, if you will, as we read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 21. We're moving on to a new, uh, new phase of this, uh, this message that Jesus preached. <laughs> Matthew 6, beginning of verse 19, says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. That last phrase is <laughs> going to be the, the main, kind of the, the, the main thought over the next few weeks as we get into this new series. It's called Happiness Is. That's what we're going to be talking about. Happiness Is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That, that's a great, you know, that would make a great tattoo, would make a great banner for your, uh, for your office, for your room, great, you know, it would look great on a bumper sticker or a coffee mug. But it's also such a powerful statement and such a powerful thought when we really dig into that. What does it truly mean? What is Jesus really trying to tell us? And how real is that to us in our lives? Where our treasure is, that there's, that's where our heart is. It begs the question, what is your treasure? Right? What is your treasure? I think for our purposes, what I'm drawing out of this from Jesus is this. What makes you happy? And as a follower of Jesus, truly what should make you happy? Where should your happiness come from? Where, what, what should be the, the, the genesis, the birthplace of your happiness? What, what should be the, the breeding ground for happiness in your life? Happiness, joy, and living. What does it take to get there? How much of it is self-generated and how much of it depends on circumstances? <laughs> What do the happiest people have in common? Now, I know that uh, you know, we're, we're in a, a day and age where information has exploded and there's all kinds of, we can, we can read articles left and right. There was just, a, just a, a study released the last few weeks 
an 80-year-long study on happiness that was done by Harvard. And back in 1934, they found uh, a group of men, uh, of course it was men, didn't really get in, didn't really talk to the women. And then they followed uh, up with their children through over the 80 years, and they found out some things, and I'll be looking at that and bringing some stuff out in that but uh, later on in this series, but there's always some kind of study or some kind of research or some kind of poll being taken about happiness. And just, for, just to kick things off, I, I have some of, those, uh, some of those poll results for you this morning. What do the happiest people in the world have in common? What do the happiest people in life have in common? Well, what makes people happy? What makes us happy? Spending six to seven hours a day socializing, especially on the weekends, makes humans happy. Six to seven hours a day of socializing. That's a lot. Sure, I'm sure your boss might not be happy about that. Right? Six to seven hours a day. <laughs> in marriage, a ratio of five to one happy interactions to difficult interactions makes for a successful and happy marriage. Five, five uh, positives to one negative. Pretty good ratio. Having contact with 10 or more friends daily makes us happy. Not even sure I have 10 friends. So, just kidding. According to Princeton, a Princeton study, Princeton University, making more than $75,000 a year leads to greater happiness. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seeing as the average income in America is $49,000 a year, there's not a lot of happiness going around. Having a friend, now this one, I read this and I had to read it a couple times to make sure I was reading it right. Maybe you'll have to as well because this is kind of convoluted, but having a friend that lives less than a mile from you who becomes happy gives you a 25% chance, greater chance, of being happy. Okay? So if you have a friend that lives less than a mile from you who becomes happy, it gives you a 25% greater chance of you being happy. Now, if you have four friends that live within a mile of you and they all become happy, maybe that's 100%. I don't know how that works. Here's the one that I really dug into and really kind of, kind of got to me. Uh, the happiest age, right? The happiest age. What is the happiest age in life? Well, there was no... <laughs> There was one. There was no consensus, but there are general, general terms here. The happiest age is either 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 33. Anybody here 33? Exactly 33 years old. Anybody? Yeah, Brian. Whatever. You have socks that are 33 years old. <laughs> All right. It's either 33. Because at 33, our combination of energy, wisdom, and money, I, that's the one I kind of wondered about. Wisdom at 33? Come on. Energy, wisdom, and money make us happy at that age. Or it's 55. Because at 55, we smile the most at the age of 55. Or it's in your 70s. 
because we get happier with age. Apparently, they've never walked through a neighborhood where kids are walking on somebody's lawn. Right? Get off my lawn, kid. <clears throat> Some scientists have determined that genes, behaviors, and life circumstances all have a part in your happiness. But in the end, 40% of your overall happiness is controlled by you. That's what scientists will tell us. Now, those are all kind of fun to look at. It's all interesting to read and talk about. <coughs> but we claim to be followers of Jesus. We claim to have the Bible as our standard for faith and practice in life. So when we talk about happiness and we look at life and we look at the circumstances and we look at everything that's going on in life and we look at all those things around us and the people around us, the people we allow into our lives, where do we get our happiness from? The major question that I want to ask and hope to answer in this series, at least biblically, is where do Christians, true followers of Jesus, find their happiness? And where should we find our happiness? C.S. Lewis said this, and I think this was a, what an amazing quote, especially after all those, uh, those things I just read. He said this, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The long, terrible history of the long history of humanity filled with things that we are trying to make us happy with other than God. Helen Keller said, when one door of happiness closes, another opens. But, now listen to this last part. But often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one which has been opened for us. <laughs> we can see from the various studies that have been done, the wide-ranging answers that are given, that happiness and joy are some of the most sought-after feelings for human beings. We want to be happy. We crave happiness. As Christians, we do. As, a, as parents, as grandparents, we want our children and our grandchildren to be happy. As spouses or people that have significant others in our lives, we want them to be happy, especially with us. We want them to be happy with us. We want to be happy in our marriages. We want to be happy in our homes. We want happiness in our lives. We desire it. Yet, true, honest happiness can be amazingly elusive. No one truly wants to be sad. Nobody truly wants to be depressed. Everyone wants to feel joy and happiness. I will say, except maybe a couple high school kids, they might want to be depressed because they get attention. That was a joke. And for true followers of Jesus, these questions and answers are especially important. We're supposed to live lives of joy. We're supposed to, man. We have Jesus in our heart. If you have truly accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have him in your heart. You have eternity guaranteed for you. You have heaven assured for you. That should make us happy. And we have the power of God to live in through our, our lives. 
every day. We have the favor of God. That's the, that's the popular phrase we're looking for now, right? We have God's favor. We used to call that God's blessing. Now it's called God's favor. We want God's blessing on our lives, and we can live in God's blessing. The problem is we equate finances and good health and all these things as God's blessings and never understand, which hopefully we're going to through this series, that sometimes life gets very, very difficult. Sometimes life is a, a drudgery to go through. Man, that's the time when we need to lean on our faith and say the joy of the Lord is my strength, even in times of difficulty. We're going to be talking about that. We're supposed to be happy because of and in our circumstances. We're supposed to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We're supposed to live strong because the joy of the Lord is our strength. David Brainerd said, if you hope for happiness in the world, hope for it from God and not from the world. That's what we're going to be concentrating on. Where do you get your happiness from? Where is happiness? Where should happiness come from as a Christian, as a true follower of Jesus? Listen, I would be a hypocrite <laughs> if I said you're never going to be sad. You're never going to be discouraged. You're never going to be depressed. You're never going to be angry as a Christian. But I would also be less than a man of God if I said there's not a way out of those situations. There's not a way to rise above those things. Jesus never said, don't, don't, uh, don't feel those feelings. He created us with those feelings. What he said was, in the midst of those feelings, turn to me. In the midst of those difficulties, turn to me. Hey, some of you this morning, man, you're struggling, right? You're struggling. Some of you watching us on, online, you're struggling. You're struggling with life. I got, I got up yesterday morning, I took a walk. It was, I, you know, I just did it because I'm a guy and I do stupid things. It was when I decided to start putting on my jacket and my hat and all this stuff, it was seven below zero and the wind chill factor was like 26 below zero. And by the time I got everything on, I checked it again and it, was, it had warmed up, it was five below zero. And the windshield was 21 below zero. So I walked around my block. And it was great when the wind was at my back. And then I came around and started trudging through the tundra of the other, of the other side. It was cold. I took, my, I took my glove off, one of my gloves off, so I could uh, you know, take a picture while I was out there. And mm, there was, it was physical pain in my hand. It was so cold. It was crazy. So let's say this, winter in New England is a time that can really bring us low, right? I, we were driving in this morning, Miss Joan was in the car, and, and uh, she said, I can't wait to see leaves on the trees again. And listen, I love a, I love a beautiful breeze. Summer breeze? You know, who sang that song, Summer Breeze? Makes me feel fine. I forget. What? Seals and Croft. There we go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not old enough to remember that. Yes, you are. Okay, shut up. Uh, summer breeze, man. And when the trees are full of leaves and that breeze is blowing, oh, I love that summer. But not so much in the winter when it's, you know, 20 below zero and the wind is howling outside and it's 40 below zero with a wind chill factor. Did you know that God is still God in the middle of a cold, bleak winter? 
Did you know that even though you may feel as if the world is pressing in on you, no matter how hard it presses in on you, you still have Jesus in your heart? He's still God of all things. And he wants to bring you through that. He doesn't say you're never going to go through it. He says when you go through the fire, when you go through the flood, when you go through the difficulties, that's when you're going through the valleys, that's when I want to bring you beside the streams of cool water. I want you to come and rest in me. All you who labor and are heavy burdened, bring those burdens to me. I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, listen, you're wrong for having burdens. You're wrong for feeling that way. You're in sin for being. That's not what he says. He says, when you feel those very human feelings and emotions, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. I'll speak peace to your heart and to your mind if you'll let me. The problem is too many times we don't let him, whether it's because of guilt whether it's because of anger. Anybody got some anger? Anybody know something about anger? I've, listen, I'm, I'm furious in my heart right now over some things. Man, I got to make sure I go to God. Got to make sure I go to him over it. Because those very human feelings need to be dealt with in a godly way. We're going to learn through this, first of all, that God is the source of all of our joy. God is the source of all our joy. There's no doubt about this. The Bible is literally overflowing with verses and stories about how God met people where they were, uh, where they're at, and changed their circumstances and literally created joy where there was sorrow and pain and depression. You say, what do you mean he literally created joy? Remember the story of of uh, Lazarus, the story of Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus died, man. His sisters were just torn apart. In fact, one of them blamed Jesus. He said, if, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And they're all crying. They're all sad. The whole community was, was crying. And so much, so deep was their grief and sorrow that the Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Because of their reaction. But what happened, man? In the midst, in the midst of deep depression and anxiety and sorrow and pain, Jesus yelled out, Lazarus, come forth, man. And he brought Lazarus back to life. Gee, can you imagine that, that party? Can you imagine that, that dinner afterwards when the, the dead guy, he's been dead for three days, and he comes back to life? Jesus can create joy in the middle of your sorrow. 2 Corinthians 4, <laughs> verses 7 through 10, Paul writes to us and he talks about the power and the joy of Jesus. And he says, now we have this treasure in clay jars, in our bodies, in our lives. We hold the power of Jesus and the, the love and, the, and this, the strength and the joy of Jesus. We have that in our lives so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. That's, that's an incredible, thi incredible thing to understand and realize that your joy is not dependent on your ability to be happy as a Christian. Get that? Let me say that again. Your joy is not dependent 
on your ability to be happy as a Christian. Your joy comes from Jesus. Your joy comes from God. He says, we are, Paul goes on. He says, we are affected in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Listen, it may not be fun what you're going through, but understand you're going through it for a reason, and there's the glory of God at the end of it. And that's what he wants to see displayed. There is no reasonable doubt that God wants us to live in joy. He wants us to be happy And he wants us to be happy in spite of our circumstances, in our circumstances and in spite of our circumstances. But too often, we choose anger or depression or misery or pain. Now, let me explain that for a second. I'm not not saying that we choose uh, mental illness. Okay? Please understand that. I I believe in mental illness. I believe that it's a medical issue. And there are, time, there, there, are, there are ways of treating that. But not all depression is mental illness. Sometimes we choose to be that way. Sometimes we choose to let our circumstances overwhelm us when as followers of Jesus, we could turn to him and look to him in the middle of our circumstances and say, I'm going to trust you to see me through. We don't choose to move when God says move, or we mistake his silence for his rejection. See, sometimes it's not that God is is being silent because you're being judged or being rejected. Sometimes God is being silent because because you're not ready to receive the message or because he's not ready to reveal it to you. And you just need to wait. All the while, God is standing there waiting to renew our strength and give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. How can we live in the joy of the Lord? How can we be happy? How can we finish this statement, happiness is, with our own uh, definitive lived answer? Well, that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to try to see from the Bible. How can you answer that question for yourself as a follower of Jesus? Listen, I'm not talking about as an employee of so-and-so company. I'm not talking about being happy as a citizen of this world. I'm not talking about being happy because you're an American. What I want to dig into in this series is how can you finish that statement, happiness is, as a child of God? How can you finish the statement, happiness is, as a follower of Jesus Christ in an honest, powerful way, in such a way that you are able to live above your circumstances in joy? That you're able to live above those things that you have to face on a daily basis. Listen, man, I know how heavy life can get. And I know how brutal and difficult life can be. I know how ugly people can be. Listen. I can even go down this road and say, I know how 
fill in the blank with your favorite bleeped out word Christians can be to other Christians. I know that. But I also know that there's a God in heaven. And I know that I've given my heart and my life to him. And you know, if I, if, if I focus and, and concentrate on my circumstances rather on what he has for me, then I will be angry. I will be depressed. I will be discouraged. The secret is to focus on him. And try your best to stay with him and allow him to help you live above your circumstances. How do we do that? Well, first thing we have to do is focus on what matters to him. Focusing on what matters to him will produce joy that comes from him. Focusing on him, focusing on the things that matter to Jesus will produce joy in your life that comes from him. 1 John chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 say, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world uh, with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. What's, he, what's John saying there? What's Jesus trying to get through to us in that message? If you're focusing on the things out there to make you truly happy as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to come up empty every time. If the satisfaction and the purpose of your life is to be successful in business, you're not going to be happy as a Christian. You're just not. Oh, well, you know, I, I just want to... Okay, listen. God blesses us in our circumstances. God blesses us in our lives. God leads us in ways where he will bless us and can bless us. But man, the minute your joy starts coming from your circumstances and your job rather than your relationship with Jesus Christ is the minute you're starting to lose the grip on what he has for you in your life. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Man, there's a whole lot to pull out of that, and we're going to see that through this series. <laughs> How... Uh, helping others and, and reaching out to others can produce joy in your life that comes from God. But the key there is the joy of the Lord is your strength. Want to, want to know why you're having such difficulty standing strong in your faith or wanting to live in your faith or wanting to serve God? Well, how's your relationship with him? Is your joy in life coming from your walk with him and all the things that he allows into your life? What steps do we need to take in our lives to work towards joy and happiness as Christians? What steps do we need to take? What steps do each and every one of us individually need to take in our lives to work towards being happy? Work towards having joy in our lives as Christians? Well, the first thing is this. Hope. In Jesus will generate joy. Hope in Jesus will generate joy. There's not a lot of hope in this world right now, right? We're, I, I just saw a report, uh, a, 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 uh, an interview with a general, four-star general, and he said, 
He predicts that we're going to be at war with China here in America by 2025. And then right after that, we have the, ch the balloon floating over our country, right? Can I say this? If we're more concerned, and listen, I don't know, I, I was in military intelligence, all right? And I'll, ju I'll just say this, all right? If you think that was a weather balloon, all right, I'm just, I'm just saying, all right? But, n but neither am I saying this, the sky is falling because a balloon flew over our country. And if your joy or sorrow or the purpose of your life or your fear or anything comes from the fact that a balloon flew over our country, rather than the creator of this entire universe died for you, gave his life for you, you've accepted him as your savior, and now eternity is guaranteed for you, then you're missing the point. You see, that's what I'm talking about. We allow circumstances in life to take over and to write the narrative of our life. No kidding, the world is in turmoil. No kidding, there's all kinds of things going on that are, are scary and crazy and, and should, should, you know, as, as human beings, if we look at them, they make us say, what in the world is going on? I understand why people move out to, you know, Western Maine and live in the mountains where nobody can find them and they, you know, live off MREs for the rest of their lives. I get it. I would understand that more if I wasn't a follower of Jesus. But as the old pastors used to say, I've read, I've read the end of the book. I know that we win. And it's no fun going through this. It is no fun seeing these things happen. It's no fun. Listen, it's no fun watching police officers beat young men to death. There was a day when we wouldn't put that on TV. Right? And you can, listen, you can debate the merits of we need to see that. I don't need to see that. I'm intelligent enough, and I'm, and I'm, I have a soft enough heart and a smart enough brain to realize that five guys that are police officers should not be beating a young man to death. And that's wrong. Okay? I don't need to watch a video of it. Be that as it may. Yeah, I know that stuff shouldn't go on. I know these kind of things shouldn't go on in our country. But I have hope in Jesus. And one day, the Bible tells me that one day, he's going to make all of this right. One day, he's going to make all of this right. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9. Say, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him 
And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We understand who wrote First Peter, right? First and Second Peter. Peter the Apostle. He was one of the inner three with Jesus. He walked, talked, ate, and listened to Jesus. He was an apostle, a follower of Jesus. He was at the cross when Jesus died. He was at the tomb when he saw it empty. He was on the beach when Jesus came back from the dead and made, uh, made lunch for him and his friends. He knew Jesus personally. And he said, listen, folks, there is inexpressible joy in believing in the one you've never seen. Even now, I can't see him. He's gone. He's no longer here on earth. Yet, I have inexpressible joy because of who he is and what he's done. The hope of Jesus will generate joy. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. How do you have hope in Jesus? Well, you accept him as your personal savior. If you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You've never made him your personal savior. The Bible says that even though you're a sinner, even though you deserve the punishment for your sins, it doesn't make you a horrible person. Please, let's get beyond that point. If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, let's get beyond that point. Nobody's calling you a terrible person. Nobody's saying you're a horrible individual. Nobody is hating you because of the fact that I say you're a sinner. That's just fact. According to the Bible, we are all sinners. And because of our sin, the Bible says there are, there's a payment for it. There is, a, uh, there is one day where the bill is going to come due, and that payment is death. And if you die without Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says very, very clearly. I don't care what they say on YouTube. I don't care what they say on the Internet. I don't care what anybody says. Hell is real. Why is it real? Because the Bible says it's real. And if you die without Jesus as your Savior, without confessing Him as Savior and asking Him to come into your heart and save you, the Bible says that's your eternal destination. But Romans 5.8 says that even while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, whoever believes in Him, what, you know, he could, he could have said there, whatever, whoever, whatever sinner believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Then Romans 10, 13, Paul writes to us, for whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, it's pretty simple. Accept the fact that you're a savior. Accept the fact that you're a sinner. Realize that you can't do anything about that for your eternal soul. Accept the fact that Jesus Christ died not to start a religious movement, not to make things right in society. He died to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And believe the fact that if you accept that payment for your sin and you ask him to come into your heart and you call in the name of Jesus, repent of your sins and ask him to come into your heart, he will give you eternal life. Man, that is the beginning of hope. That is the very definition of hope. 
In this world, we may have trouble. In this world, we will have struggle. But we have hope in Jesus of eternal life. Folks, that, that is the joy of the Lord. Listen, life may get tough and life may get difficult, but I know that there's something coming after this life that is much better than I could have ever imagined. The Bible says heaven is a place where our greatest imagination cannot even comprehend the beginning of what he has for us. What else produces joy? Righteous living produces joy. Now, I may have had you up to this point, but let's see if we can all stay on board here when I get to this part, shall we? Because this may not be your cup of tea. Righteous living will produce joy. Isaac Watts said, do not be deceived. Happiness and enjoyment do not lie in wicked ways. Happiness and enjoyment do not lie in wicked ways. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. You want joy in your life? You want happiness in your life as a follower of Jesus? Do the right thing, man. Do the right thing. You know what doing the right thing means? Stop doing the wrong things. Stop doing the wrong things. You know what one of the wrong things is? Hate. Hate. Hate is wrong. Hate is bad. Listen, I don't really care who you voted for. Listen, man, there's a dude that ran for president and became president in our country that was filled with hate. You can like that or not. I don't really care anymore. All right? I'm going to tell you why here in just a little bit. I don't really care. I don't care how good he was for business. I don't care how good he was for this, how good he was for that. The man was filled with hate. Still is. That's my opinion. Okay? That's my opinion. And I think it's divisive and I think it's ugly. And there are people on the other side that are the same way. And until you get tired of hate, you'll never agree with me on that. You understand that, folks? Until you get tired. Oh, oh, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. All right? James 1, 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in his ways. James is saying that you can be a follower of Jesus. Listen to this, man. You could be a follower of Jesus and be a double-minded person. Oh, where are you going with all this, Pastor John? We're getting there. One of the reasons we have so much dissension in our country is because of racial division. Can I, can I just say this? You know, we had George Floyd was beaten to death and was choked out by a cop. Horrible white cop. There are people, and you, once again, you may not like to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are people that wanted to turn this incident, I can't even remember his name, uh, the young man that was just, just killed by the five police officers. Tyree Nichols. Tyree Nichols. Say his name. They wanted to turn that back and say, see, it's just the police. These five black men killed a black. Can you get rid of that, please? Can you get that out of your head? My gosh, folks. That's what I'm talking about. Hatred. Hatred. It's wrong. 
And as Christians, when we have hatred in our hearts simply because of the color of somebody's skin, we're double-minded. And we're not pleasing Jesus. And you know what, what the Bible says about a double-minded person? You're unstable in everything. Want to know why you can't get yourself together and follow Jesus and, and get in line as a follower of Jesus? Because you're double-minded. That's why. Because you have hatred in your heart. Oh, where's this coming from? Oh, okay, you want to know? I'll tell you. It's the biggest reason that we don't see unity in our churches is racial division. We're hypocrites. See, you thought I was just joking when I said, let's see if we're together after all this, right? Oh, it gets better. We say that all are created equal, but we don't live that way. We move to areas to get away from people who look different. We choose churches based on skin color. And we teach our children that those with different skin color than us are bad. We excuse our police from horrific, brutal acts because of skin color. In short, we Christians aren't acting too righteous in this area. And there's no way that we can expect the unbelieving world to act like Jesus when we don't expect it within our own walls. Well, oh, I can't believe you'd say something like that. Okay. I have, I've been very open and transparent about my two boys, my two youngest. You'll notice Zach is here. Zach's wearing a Dodgers hat. Zach is as white as they come. He truly is. He's whiter than they come. Okay. It truly is. Zach is a white man. No doubt about it. All right? Yeah. Surprise! You all know that I have two sons, Gabriel and Michael. They're not white. They're Puerto Rican. In fact, Gabriel... By the way, though, folks, Puerto Ricans are kind of a... I was born there, so I'll use the term. Elvin, don't yell. Don't throw anything at me. Any of you... Puerto Rican, leave me alone after this. Don't, don't hit me, okay? But kind of mutts, right? The, the Taino Indian tribe was there, and the Spanish came in, and there was the slave trade. And so Puerto Ricans have a, a kind of, they truly are a melting pot of everything. And my two boys, now Michael looks very Rico Suave, very Latin, you know. And Gabriel looks more African American, especially in the summertime, they get very dark, and Gabriel gets very dark. Well, for six and a half years, I have battled with this school system, with this town, over racial issues and my sons being called the N-word. I almost want to say it out loud, but I don't want to offend you in church. And I've talked and I've talked and I've talked and I've sent emails and I've had meetings and it's been excused by the leadership of this town and by the people of this town. And people of this town have blamed my sons. My sons were not allowed to play. This is no lie, man. My sons were not allowed to play for the all-star team in Longmeadow in baseball. They were the best in the league, no doubt about it. They dominated the league. They were not allowed to play because they, did it. they, they, they got together and passed a rule right before the all-star selection process that you had to live in town. Hadn't been a rule ever in that town until my boys were the best ones there. And now you have to live in town so the brown boys can't represent Long Meadow. My boys were persecuted playing football. They don't play football anymore until they get beyond who the coach is because the parents of the, of that, of the football players 
called the president of the football association telling them that my boys were being harassed by the coach because of the color of their skin. That didn't come from me, it came from other parents. And over and over and over again in this town and in the school system, my boys have had to deal with prejudice and racism. Well, it came to a head last week, man. And I'm not gonna go into all of it because it's not my story to tell. But my son Gabriel has endured it. He's endured it. And it got to the point where he couldn't endure it anymore. And it was bad. And it wasn't one kid. It was a group of children, a group of young men. I'm not going to call them kids. They're stinking 12 and 13-year-old young men. If they were Jewish, they'd be going through bar mitzvah, being, being called young men now. And it was bad. And I wrote an email. And I had had it. I wrote it, forwarded it to Melvin. It was bad. It was horrible. And I wanted, to burn, I wanted to burn the town down. The response I got back wasn't what I was looking for. And I sent another email. And they did an internal investigation in their little school. And they came up with the fact. I got the email back from the principal. We found some disturbing, disturbing actions of our students. No kidding. You know what happened the day after that investigation? One of the boys, again, walked up to Gabriel and called him the N-word and spit in his face. Hey, white parents, you deal with that? You deal with that? I don't. I, I never had to deal with that. I don't know how to internalize that. Because I'm white. And I am sick and tired of white people telling me that it's black people's problem and Puerto Rican people's problem. It's their fault. You know, I told my boys, I cut my boys loose. You may not like this, but I cut my boys loose. I said, boys, if that ever happens again, you are weapons free. Kid called Gabriel the N-word, spit in his face. Gabriel, boom, dropped him. Bloody nose. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. You know what the school did? Nothing. I told him, I told Gabriel, I said, Gabriel, I'm proud of you for standing up for yourself, but you should have been suspended. No doubt about it. Zero tolerance policy. You say, well, Pastor John, this is just a gripe session for you. You're just griping and whining about things. Let me get to my point. Because we're talking about the problem in America and the problem in churches being hate and division. Imagine my surprise. Imagine my wife's surprise. Imagine my heartbreak when I found out that some of those boys are members of local churches here in East Long Meadow. Fundamental Baptist churches. You know what that tells me? Their parents have hatred in their hearts. And they're passing hatred in their hearts down to their children. When are we going to learn, folks? Listen, white folk. I'm done. I'm done listening to the excuses. I'm done listening to the stories. I'm done listening to you whine about your kids and how difficult they have it. Here in East Long Meadow, nine out of every 10 kids is white. How tough can it be? 
Seriously, how tough can it be? Here in this church, I'm done. I'm done with it. I will not mourn the loss of racists and bigots from this church. I will not mourn that loss. I won't do it. I may not celebrate it here. <laughs> but folks, it is time that we in this church, and we've tried here, and we, I, I look around our church and we are, we are a very unique church in East Longmeadow. Very unique church in all of Springfield, by the way. Because we have truly a large portion of people of color in our church. But let me ask you a question. Is this where it stays with you? Is this where you keep it? You keep it locked up in your church? Or are you a crusader out there for the love of Jesus? I'm not talking about social justice. Would you get off of that topic? I'm talking about a crusader for the love of Jesus. Stop whining, white people, about how bad you and your kids have it. Stop whining about all these things that we, and start realizing that people that look like us have done some pretty horrible things in this world. And it's caused some people to have some pretty bad feelings about themselves. And those feelings have come into the church. The only reason churches are divided by race is because we've chosen that. Well, they'd rather worship with their own kind. Did you just hear that? <laughs> did that just, did you just hear? Uh, now I'm just saying that because that's what's been said. I don't believe that. But do you hear what that, they'd rather worship with, because that's one of the things, they'd rather worship with their own kind. What kind are they? What kind are they? Are they not human? Come on, folks. Come on. I have struggled to find joy. And I'm going to struggle to find joy. I'm struggling to find joy right now. I truly am. There is still a huge part of my spirit that wants to burn it down. And I'm white. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm white. I don't, I, man, what, what must it be like to not be me in these situations? Because see, people will listen to me because I'm white. What does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with anything. Because until we see our brothers and sisters in this world as our equals, we won't see them as equally in need of Jesus. Until we can stop. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a church in this area. I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to say the name. There's a church in this area that's fled Springfield to get away from the blacks and Puerto Ricans. 
Praise Jesus. Come on, man. I guess, because I prayed a lot about talking about this this morning, please. This is not flip. This is not something I, this is not a horse I was riding in on today. I prayed a lot about it. I said, God, I don't want to say anything if, I don't, if, if it's not the right thing to say, but it is the right thing to say. Time is up. And not just because my son was taken as low as you can go. Well, that's part of it. But the fact that that came from other Christians, whew, what are we doing? How can we expect to show the joy of the Lord to this world when we can't even get along in the church? Seriously. I think we'll leave it there for the day. Lord, I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done. God, I'm thankful that you give joy. But I know that joy is a journey. Father, I pray that we will find our joy in you and that no matter what comes our way, we'll find our joy in you. Bless us as we go from this point today, Lord. Help us to be better. In your name we pray. Amen.